Hi there, welcome back to Sky High Musings, a place where people of all ages can get together, share stories, and maybe learn a little bit about each other. It could be subtitled, Me and My Friends, because my friends are super interesting. I hope you find them as entertaining as I do, and you might learn a little something along the way. Thanks for joining. Welcome back to Sky High Musings. I'm Monica, and I'm here with Roxy, who will be my guest today. Welcome, Roxy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, We'll get into our topics uh, in a minute, but do you mind if I clean up um, some questions that might have been raised during the podcast I did with Mary? Not at all. Go right ahead. Okay. It's a little dark. Okay. <laughs> so when I was talking to Mary, I said I was had mentioned to her that I think that there were um, somebody killed their mom because of they didn't want to play Yahtzee. And she said that had to be urban legend. And um, now to spread a little Christmas cheer, I have an update that it is not urban legend. So I'm going to read this because it did happen during the Christmas season. I'm not laughing, but it's, it's the whole Yahtzee connection is too much. So it says three brothers allegedly killed their own mother on Christmas Day because they didn't want to play a game of Yahtzee. And the woman, the victim's name is Tamara Lee Mason. Her decomposing body was found and buried in her backyard in Alberta, Minnesota, six months after she disappeared. Her three sons allegedly confessed to police that the youngest had strangled the 49-year-old. Then the elder two hid her body in a shed for months until the ground was thawed enough to bury it. The youngest, Jacob Cobb, who he was only 17 at the time, he was charged with two counts of second-degree murder after he allegedly strangled his mother on the living room floor when the three brothers refused to play the dice game. Holy cow. Um, The horrific murder allegedly happened on December 25th last year. Boy, it just proves when you don't want to play Yahtzee, you you should not be pushing someone into playing Yahtzee. Yeah, that's... The shed part is the dark turn I did not know about from this story. It's pretty dark, the whole thing. Can you imagine just being like, hey guys, you (laughs) you want to play some Yahtzee and then they up and kill you? Well, I mean, I feel like... Monopoly and Sorry are both games that cause <laughs> that like maybe they know what they did yeah, and they had it coming. Yeah, but at least just asking to play yachts, man, that's rough. Yeah, that is rough. It makes you wonder about what happens up there. And I mean, nothing against people in these in these tundra type states, but maybe it's too cold and they just get the days, the nights are really long. I don't know. Cabin fever. I almost expected it, quite frankly, to be from Florida. That's true, but I feel like Floridians have way better things to do than play Yahtzee. You know, uh-huh. they can go to the beach. They can I would hope so. Go to see some gators. Well, anyway, just to circle back around and put that out there, uh, not a true crime podcast, but that was pretty shocking, and I did feel like I needed to circle back around um, just to clear that up, that it is sadly not urban legend, which is really a shame for that family. But um, anyway, so today, switching gears very abruptly, um, I have Roxanne with me, and um, she has come in from the West Coast. Uh, welcome. Thanks for having me. 
So Roxy and I are going to chit chat today about um, subjects that are near and dear to my heart, mostly um, the misconception that people have uh, for what your line of work actually is. And um, do you want to go ahead and say what it is you do? Um, I work, I have a degree in food science and technology, and I currently work at a vegan food company. In California. Yes. Yeah. So um, the, here are the questions that I think people would have. And then I'm just going to fire them off and you can kind of let me know if they're on point. So can you cook? Um, Is that one of them? I um, I like to cook. I'm not necessarily <laughs> No, no, no. I'm just asking, are those questions people ask you? They never ask if... Well, actually, yes. They definitely ask that quite frequently. And then, uh, are you a nutritionist? No, not at all. So, can you help me with my macros? No, I can try, <laughs> but as a friend, but not really... I'm just expertise. kind of going down the road of all the things that people might think you do. Um, and then do they think that you like um, are a dietitian? I would imagine people think you're a nutritionist or a dietitian. The two ones that I get most often are like nutritionist slash dietitian. Um, and uh, if I'm a chef or not. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So not just do you like to cook, but are you a chef is mostly what I get. So I would imagine there are some chefs who are food scientists. There are. That's actually a separate field where if you have a culinary degree and a food science degree, you can be like a colonologist, which is essentially like kind of combining both features. Um, it's kind of like test kitchen work rather than product work. So, um, so why don't you enlighten all of us who are wondering what it is exactly... And and you can be broad about food science. You don't have to talk about specifically what you do at your job. Um, so it probably pays, it's probably smart to talk about that, about how this stuff's classified. Right, yeah. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it um, because of the whole chef slash nutritionist thing. But you just have to think about how broad the food industry is. I mean, there's so many avenues to go down. Um, and my advisor always told me that food science is first an applied science, which I think sums it up pretty well. Um, you can work in a lab and work on something really specific, like food colors or flavors. Um, you can work as a quality assurance director slash worker, you know, whether you're looking at quality in the food facility plant or after during transport. Um, so yeah, there's just like a, a, the, the amount of varieties and avenues you can go down as a food, food science major, um, are endless, truly. I mean, think about how much food is included in our lives. Cause you got to think about when it's planted as a seed to all the way when it's transported to the grocery store and is already cleaned or bagged or, you know, checked, packaged. Um, there's like so many different steps between now and then, so the opportunities are kind of endless. You'll mm -hmm. never run out of things to do. Right, right. I would, I would feel like it's a, um, it's a very technical major. Is that not true? I mean, is it something that you needed, like a lot of chemistry and um, other types of science for your training? Yes, chemistry for sure. Um, 
But I think one of the benefits of food science is that if you're the kind of person who enjoys science but doesn't necessarily want to go into like hardcore PhD kind of work, you know, with those really long titles where it's like how hydroxypropyl something something affects this, um, you can apply it to a much broader perspective. Uh, for example, if you really like biology, you might want to learn more about like foodborne illness and you know, even in that avenue, there's so many things to do. You could be like a restaurant food inspector for safety. You could be the microbiologist resident at a plant. So basically you go down and swab different areas of the machinery or the food or the packaging just to make sure everything's safe. Um, I forget what the question was, but no, that's okay. And well, we're just kind of sussing out what, what it is a food scientist does. And what, what I'm hearing from you is it's really, really a broad category, so it could be so many things. Yes, and te technicality is as far as you want to take it. Right. But you definitely you need some, if you hate STEM, um, it might not be the perfect avenue for you. Right. So, um, so then when uh, packaging, isn't that part of food scientists? Like, don't they have to decide, like, if, for example, if you put your milk in a certain kind of thing that all the, the it's not corroding into the milk. I don't really know what the right word is. Leaching. I don't know what the scientific term is, but you got to make sure that your food isn't polluted by the packaging, right? For sure. I even, I knew some people at school who did a study based on like milk packaging specifically and whether or not if the light comes into it, like sunlight or like, you know, like grocery supermarket light, um, if that makes a difference with the taste or the smell of the product. Um, but that doesn't necessarily... <laughs> I'm sorry, I was thinking about Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> when he says, this cow <laughs> got into an onion patch. That is correct. <laughs> That's actually a thing. If you go into FFA, which is Future Farmers of America, they have they have stuff like that. Um, well, sorry, I can never miss a <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite reference because as was we'll find out when we do another podcast that is one of my favorite movies so there you go it's her definite favorite movie not just one of them yeah um so anyway so getting back to food science so uh well does it matter do you know the the conclusion with the milk oh um i personally don't know but i can maybe oh. get a different podcast oh, guest okay. on and talk well, about i was it. just wondering because you know milk comes in you can get it in like clear bottles and you can get it in opaque you know cardboard so it seems like it wouldn't matter because otherwise if it mattered they would have already changed it up that's a sentiment that could be applied to a lot of different things mm. but unfortunately it's not always that way i see um i would say though that p typically if you're in food packaging you'd also need some kind of packaging or like an engineering degree like a material science more of mm -hmm. a material science yeah focus. i get that but food scientists definitely have to understand packaging shelf life is a big thing with right. that making sure the product keeps quality and safety wise so so one of the things about um so can we can we talk about your internship are we allowed to bring that up um yes but i'm just not allowed to talk about anything proprietary yes okay um so roxy did uh her internship um at hershey the company in hershey pa and um, I happened to have been the recipient of many boxes <laughs> that had to be opened for quote-unquote inspection, and full-size candy bars coming my way. That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, 
There's a lot of candy that gets not pat there's a lot of free candy in general just cuz yeah um but i mean if people are testing something they don't need to use anymore but they took this huge shipment in order to run the testing uh then that was just given back to us because they can't sell it to the general public so that's why i got to take home like four garbage bags full of candy yeah like (laughs) santa claus like the best kind of santa claus Mm -hmm. yeah i gotta tell you that um I'm really glad so, I didn't work for like the Necco wafers internship because right? that probably wouldn't. Have oh been my gosh! As good. So you know, Tim Smith was. Oops, I shouldn't say his last name. Tim was like, uh, he would open up a four pack of those Reese things and just open up his his pie hole and just move those right in there like it was a conveyor belt. Hey, we've all done it. The, oh. the packaging even looks like a conveyor belt. You know, the little paper it component. It does. I. I I loved Hershey. I thought it was a great company. I mean, um, just overall, you go there and they've done so much for the town. And um, it's kind of an unusual company that way. Yes. Um, you know, uh, I think in the food, you know, I, I in the beginning, a lot of people were telling me, you know, don't work for the food industry. It's corrupt. Um, and at first I was like, no, it's not. And then I realized, yes, it is. But uh-huh. the good thing is, is that... Um, Number one, pretty much all big industry things are corrupt. Well, they certainly can be. They certainly, yeah. But Hershey, I would say, is somewhat of an exception because um, their whole company policy is definitely taking care of their workers first. And, like, even from the inception of Hershey, from Mr. Milton Hershey, um, it was his goal to take care of everyone in the town. That's why Hershey, the town, exists. It exists as, like, a place for the workers to live safely and enjoy who would build yeah them. it was adorable i thought it was really cute even back then they built them like movie theaters and pools wow. parks the hershey park i mean you know the amusement park was on purpose for sure right not only just for a tourism thing but to take care of the workers there um and uh he i i doubt i hope this is not incorrect by the time this podcast airs or in the future for future listeners but currently um hershey's not owned by anyone else which is very rare for a lot of food companies of that size because hershey's not huge you know it's not like but it's not tiny either i mean it's a recognized international you know people know who hershey is exactly but the company itself is not as gargantuan as some of these other you know gigantic the one that might the other chocolate company that starts with an n (laughs) you know the one i'm talking about yeah yeah i don't want to lay put anyone under the bus but they're not nearly as um charming or probably good to their towns that they're in the way Hershey is right and one of the things is that uh the Hershey school which was originally the orphanage that uh Milton Hershey founded in the early 1900s um which is just a big school now from K through 12 um and the kids basically go there if they have you know uh unsafe family conditions or maybe they just don't have the money or resources they need to succeed and they basically go through this k-12 through program they live in like these communal houses with assigned house parents and they get a free ride to any college they want afterwards um and the school actually owns most of the stock of the company so it would be rare to have Hershey get bought out by someone else mm-hmm. because the school basically owns the company. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I was really I I really liked it when you worked there. I thought it was a great company. Um 
you know, I understand that it probably would not have been the best fit for you going forward, being in such a small town and being, you know, a young person who really wanted to do more, you know, but I thought it was a great company. And at the risk of this turning into a Hershey podcast, we'll move on. But I will say, um, great company, love them. One other thing is I love that they didn't pretend that there's something they're not. It's just candy people. And you can, I I have a saying that sugar the devil is the devil. And you can say that because it's kind of true that it is inflammatory and all that. But at least the good news is they don't pretend to be anything but something that's just extra, you know. Yeah. Just there for enjoyment. You don't have to eat a lot of it. Just have it. Enjoy it, and if you're going to buy chocolate in the U.S., Hershey's the place to go, in my mind. Although we do know someone who works for Eminem Mars as well. Yeah, but I would say Mars is not, a, you know, a candy company first. They actually pet, oh. They're actually the largest pet food manufacturer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're kind of like more of a variety of things. Right. Hershey, you know, you don't think of Hershey pet food. Which, let's t- touch on that just for a second. So food scientists are the ones who make dog food too, right? Most of the time? Not always. Uh, A lot of times, like animal science majors who maybe don't want to go into like vet school or anything like that, but they know a lot about animals and like pet food and all that. Um, I have known food scientists who have entered at places that make. That would be a really interesting thing to gig as a summer intern, but I don't know if I'd want to make dog food for the rest of my life. Yeah, the nice thing is, is if you like working with animals, which I know well, you that's do. True. I I saw one of one of our grad students uh, came back with a few videos where she would play with a bunch of Yorkies and like feed them food and record them and see how they reacted. And it's so weird because I cute. feel like a dog's gonna like the food no matter what. I don't know. Our big lug of a pug, like, is more picky than uh, he probably should be. I think he would eat anything though. Any dog food, at least. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I guess is what I'm saying is, as a scientist, it seems like you'd be like, oh, I'll just what, add a couple little extra meat in there. They're all going to like it no matter what. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess you probably have to do, since food is not so much, you know, recreational for pets, you probably have to, like, do some long-term studies to see how they function nutritionally, like, with the dogs. Yeah. See if they have any, like, higher inflammatory levels if that's a thing for dogs i'm not really sure i'm not much of a animal expert. right right well uh, so some things that i found interesting about the food industry is the level of security that you guys have so um proprietary secrets are a big thing like do you sign an nda when you get hired somewhere every single time i've ever worked for a food company they, they i have to do that wow so um when you do that you you sign the NDA. What other what other precautions does the company take to make sure there's no kind of corporate espionage going on? A lot, uh, really stuff that I don't really understand um, all the time. But I mean, like sharing sharing what goes on behind the scenes is basically kind of a no no. But you guys do even more than that, don't you? Um, shred every recipe and. That's true. We usually try to keep stuff under lock and key, essentially. Or if it's not under lock and key, it's been disposed of in a way that can't be found, even if someone went through your trash. Because that's a thing that happens in the food industry quite frequently. Gosh. 
Who knew? Like, you know, I'm ex-military. I didn't realize that this these secrets were guarded as much as some secrets in the, you know, in the military world. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say it happens all the time because I'm not really sure. Because um, I bet if it does happen, we don't hear about it. Um, but, yeah, we, like, keeping things safe both on the internet and in physical form. Yeah. Like, like for example, like, it's not good if you work in a food company to, like, take pictures of the inside of the place. Yeah. Like, for social media or things like that. Because people could, I don't know, maybe zoom way far in and see and something. Absolutely. You know? I mean, if you've got an expert who knows exactly what they're looking at, now that's a problem. Yep. Wow. The only, the only great picture I've seen from your food company was the day you were working and Snoop Dogg came in. <laughs> so that's... Was That's that the pretty, same day I was there? Yeah. I guess I shouldn't say anymore because I don't want to really out where Yeah, you, you sort of already did, but it's okay. No, I didn't. I, Snoop's just awesome. That's true. <laughs> um, and he'll, if there's one thing Snoop's going to do is he's going to take a check where you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there's probably some investing going on there too. But anyway, um, so when you go to work then every single day, do you have to... Do you personally have to go somewhere and, um, like, like shred stuff? Or does someone take care of that? Or how do you work that? Um, we literally have a trash can with a lock on it. And, wow. Uh, um, it's, like a, it's like a thin chute, basically, mm-hmm. so you can just slide papers in there. Okay. Um, but the, the trash can has, like, a padlock on it. Wow, that is so interesting. So someone probably takes that and burns it or something. Do you want to hear something weird? Yeah. When I was in the military, this was back in the day before those giant shredders ever got invented. We had to go, because um, we had, you know, classified materials. You know where we took them? Um, I don't know. To the hospital where they burned all the... Bi- I bet you a million dollars they would never let you do this anymore. I bet. Yeah, I bet So not. there was a giant in the in the actual hospital on the base that I was on was this giant, like incinerator for lack of a better term and i don't know what was in there body parts who knows you take out an appendix you throw it in there i don't know but all i know is <laughs> it's fine where, my, <laughs> it's fine where part of my leg went I know. so all i know is there's this in, giant incinerator at the hospital and we used to throw this the papers in there and we had to stay there till they all burned dang isn't that weird? That is weird. Does it smell weird? I feel like it would have smelled I don't remember weird. it smelling weird. It didn't smell like fleshy. Oof. I know. It's just so weird to me how, like, nowadays there's probably a million reasons you couldn't do that. First of all, it probably didn't, wasn't secure enough. Second of all, it probably didn't burn the papers all the way. And third of all, what else was in there that I was inhaling? You know what I mean? Nothing good. That's so weird. <laughs> I didn't know uh, they burned body parts either. Well, I don't know if they were. I mean, I have to be honest. I don't know what was in there. All I know is when I got there, it was a giant fire. You know what I mean? So strange. Yeah. Weird times the 80s were. So anyway, um, so going back to uh, to the, the, the kind of really cool things about food sciences, I, I personally like the kind of idea that there's someone spying on them. Trying to get the the goods. But, I mean, you're pretty tight-lipped about, which is why we're not saying what company you work for. You're very tight-lipped about not 
telling anything about anything. I, I, I would get in trouble. No, I, I appreciate it. I'm just saying it's amazing to me, you know, how how much you have to kind of protect that, you know? I would probably argue that's the same for any sort of product-driven company, not just food, probably, maybe. Probably, probably. Um, but it's it's interesting, and, uh, you know, the product is good. I like it, so whatever you guys are doing. So when you're cooking or when you're making the product, like changing up a formula, it doesn't matter what company you're at. When you do that, do you have to just keep tasting it over and over again? Yep. Wow. And then what do you, like, do your taste buds get to the point where they don't respond to, because you must be making these just tiny little changes. Um, it depends. Okay. On where you are and what you're doing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, so do you ever, are you ever afraid you're not really tasting a difference that you should taste? Um, I guess. I mean, I I think it would be cool if you got a sensory scientist person on here because that's like a division of food science that's Mm -hmm. basically just centered around taste and that kind of thing um but i mean knowing our taste buds there's actually something called sensory fatigue which is if you are trying too many samples that are too similar um it starts to all taste the same and that's sort of i guess what i was asking right i mean that a lot of sensory fatigue is based on just sample size so if you're tasting two things and trying to find the difference versus like 10 things it's gonna make a big difference to how your like receptors like understand what's going on Hmm. I guess like kind of like noticing a big difference versus you know having to taste 10 things that are all similar enough that they all just taste the same you know what I'm saying I do yeah Um, and another thing too is like understanding our taste buds is a really new science like we don't really entirely understand everything that our tongue is doing because you know that tongue map from like the 50s and 60s where it's like bitters on the tip of the tongue is that not true that is definitely not true what yeah are you serious yes well what is it is the is there a map at all that's not a map i feel completely betrayed It's not a By map. my 50 science. Because <laughs> your next thing you know, you're going to tell me the food pyramid's not in anymore either. Yeah, it's my plate now. Um, but uh, actually, well, I mean, they're called taste buds because if you go on them microscopically, they look like little flower buds with little oh. like, petals kind of. Okay. As far as we know, at least from the zoom-ins. But I, but I think the thing is we know what they look like, but we don't really understand what makes us think of like, what makes us perceive things? Because it would be like, if we were like that tongue map, and someone cut <laughs> off that segment of your tongue, you would still be able to taste everything. Like, right. they, they cut off the little sweet pocket of the tongue, and someone gave you an ice cream, you you would be fine. You could oh. taste that ice cream. Well, that's be in uplifting. Pain. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. A lot of people are, that's, I find what people are most shocked about a lot of times Oh, I think we can shock people with food science things. Like, for example, there. so I have to go out there and and say this. So, you know, in my mind, I'm not going to disparage. It's just like any business, like you said. I'm not going to disparage food science as a science. But there are some pretty underhanded things that food scientists have come up with. Like when I read that you, the people who developed the Ritz cracker, they specifically developed it to melt in your mouth so you would eat more. Mm. But also, 
something that melts in your mouth tastes better anyway. It, I enjoy a Ritz cracker to this day, even knowing that. But I will tell you that I do know from being around you that you get a lot of heat from people who are like, well, I just grow everything myself organically and you should never eat packaged food. And Which, first of all, is such a lie. I mean, pretty much everyone... I think almost everyone on the planet has had packaged food. I mean, even if we would prefer to not have packaged food, that's just the reality. It's accessible. It's less expensive. You also have to consider, like, pretty much all food is processed, even produce, because it's got to go through, like, a cleaning step or, like, a washing step right. in in the facility. Um, and I also think... The idea that packaged food is bad is sort of, you know... It's old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned, which is silly, because something like canning has been around for a long time, right. and canning is a fantastically safe form of packaging food. What a great... That's exactly... That's or, a great point. Or, like, yeah. frozen food often retains the vitamins better than fresh produce. Yeah. Like, frozen vegetables and fruits are a lot of times a healthier choice than... Right. So these are all the great things about food science that I think never get recognized but to go back to some of the dark things which the the listeners love yes the (laughs) listeners love to hear that well just weird things like little weird things you never think of until you know a food scientist like the cheeto there's food scientists who develop that stuff that sticks on your fingers Mm -hmm. i mean that's fascinating it is fascinating or like how like imagine if a food that normally didn't do that started doing that you wouldn't like it like the new Coke, you know what I mean? Yes, like, and I will say that I don't like Cheetos for that exact. I don't want to have this scummy stuff. Oh, you know what? I bet with this pandemic, it's going to cut down on stuff like that. I don't know. That's I, don't, I mean, but the thing is, is that like... Because you're licking your fingers and then putting them back in a bag. And let's just pretend... Not everyone puts them in a, a bowl. <laughs> you know, back in my day, we didn't get vaccines. We just licked our fingers of Cheeto dust. That's how we all got tough. Yeah, and we, we liked it. <laughs> but it is weird. Like, um, I wonder if the pandemic is going to change how people, like, if more single-serve things. Are, but that's so much packaging. I mean, it's it's always been moving that way, and I will say the good thing about packaged food is you know that no one's hands have been inside. I know, but mm. I hate the packaging. It makes me crazy. Yeah, there's actually, um, I took one packaging class in school, and then I stopped because the teacher really annoyed me because I was wanted to do a minor. But um, there's something called Rap Rage, W-R-A-P, which is basically people who go to the hospital from getting so angry at packaging, like, trying to open That's it. That's me if every Costco it. box that comes along. It makes me crazy. Like, you get the dog's front line, you know, and they put it in this giant thing so people don't steal it because it's expensive. Oh, my gosh. It's like you need an advanced degree to open that thing up. It's so annoying. I, I give Costco at least a little bit of leeway on that because they are literally just going from the truck to the store and, like, if something's on a truck or on a cargo jet, oh, it needs true. to stay yeah. pretty, pretty secure. But I do but understand that's a what call, you mean. That's like frontline. It's in a little tiny tube. It's like a medicine for the dogs for their ticks. So it's like a tube that comes in a bigger box that comes in a thing that, like, is two feet long, a plastic thing. So right. Anyway, I mean that even happens with like stuff that's on the shelves in a non. Uh, 
what what kind of store is Costco? Like what? It's a warehouse warehouse store. store. Yeah. Even in like a non warehouse store, there's a lot of packaging on things. Yeah, and so I personally don't love that movement, and with regard to uh, you know more waste that's happening, so. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you want everything to be as safe and as fresh as possible, right. you know? Because, like, let's say, for example, you know how cereal boxes have the bags inside, usually? Right. You mean of... where it says contents may settle during... Yes. Um, <laughs> but if they didn't have those bags, then your Cheerios might be kind of soggy by the time they get to oh, you. Oh, yeah. Or, like, Plus absorb m- or the mealworms. moisture from the air. That, too. Because the mealworms would just go right in there. They'd be like, oh, hey easy entry into these corn chips or whatever the heck it is exactly so i i I mean i totally get what you're saying so i guess with all as with all things it's a kind of a fine line that we 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 want to have things be healthy and good and but not too much you know like is there a movement towards packaging that's either more quickly biodegraded which i can see the problems already because now it's not going to have a long shelf life or, like, that you can actually eat, like, edible packaging? Oh, yes. Edible packaging has been a big thing people have been looking into the past few years. But how could you eat the package because it's going to be dirty on the outside? Well, that's the issue is you generally got to package the edible packaging in a package. <laughs> so, but, I mean, at, at least if you think about it, like the cereal example I just did, if the plastic was edible, that would at least keep things, the content safe inside, but you know maybe you could eat it or like biodegradable packaging but then you also have to consider like branding is a big part of you know packaging yes and a lot of these brands base base most of their stuff on plastic or bright colors or things that if they were removed people would get angry like remember those sun chips bags all those years ago that were really loud yeah like you would open them they were like yes People hated that, so they stopped doing it, even though it was one of the most biodegradable packaging options. Is that right? Mm-hmm. People hated how loud it was. Maybe they'll welcome it back now that people are a little smarter. I would hope so, but I mean, you have to consider like like Tide dishwashing detergent is these huge plastic bottles. If they started doing it in cardboard, it would look very different, and right. people might not prefer that. And they have every right to do that. They have all the availability to do that, but they don't because consumers may not vibe with it, you know? Yeah. Boy, that's brands a, are... Uh, we are a fickle bunch, aren't we? Brands are a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah. So have you ever... A couple of things... This isn't meant to be political because I don't want to go down that road. <coughs> food can... We could talk... You know, we could have another podcast about um, lots of them. About, like, where I know you're really interested in food scarcity, which isn't really about food science at all. I mean, it kind of is. I mean, it all plays in with one another. Right. But we can talk about all that in another podcast. But but what I am wondering, not on the political level, but, like, does does the FDA, do they have, like, food scientists? Or is it just people who are regulating based on information they get from a food scientist? I think they definitely have food scientists. Um most people who work in the FDA at least understand food science or well, I shouldn't say most people because I've never worked there. Right. And I don't know the demographics, but uh, if you have a food science degree, um, probably you'd need a master's, but you could easily work there. They definitely need, it's a scientific organization. Like they yeah. need all that info. And um, do you think the, so I guess I'm getting a tiny bit political. Do you think the FDA does a good job of regulating for the most part, what's safe for us to eat? 
I would say yes. Okay. I would say they're... Uh, the only thing to remember is that the USDA manages animal products, like meats, dairies. FDA does pretty much everything else. Oh, okay. So they, it's sort of separated in a weird... Not in a weird way, but like... Um, the the parts are divided up even though they're both talking about food. Yeah. Um, good question. I would have to do a little bit more research. I mean, there's probably some... The, I will say one of the biggest and worst things that the FDA has gotten into is like the nutritional guidelines because mm-hmm. they're very slow at updating it. Like for example, there's been a lot of nutritional studies that say that full fat milk is a lot more nutritionally sound than like skim milk mm-hmm. or like you know how the fat free movement happened in like the '90s and early yep. 2000s. Yeah. Um, what they had to do is like if you had a soup that had a lot of fat in it and you had to make it fat free. Um, you put a bunch of sugar thickeners and sugar in it. Yeah. And, um, I mean, as we all know, sugar is the devil, according yeah. to podcaster Monica, Monica Smith. Smith. <laughs> um, but it's so delicious too. I mean, I don't know, no holier than thou. I eat it. I just think it is bad for you. Right. But like, it's been th- almost 30 years since that movement started and our nutrition guidelines still say drink skim milk instead of whole. Right. And it's just... It's number one, it's slow to move. And number two, I mean, to say that we're on a, a podcast talking about food and saying we don't want to get political is sort of an oxymoron. Boy, it is, isn't it? I didn't really fully appreciate that. So I will tell you things I've learned after knowing a food scientist and things I pay attention to is, first of all, I never would have thought, oh, large, large food corporation, good or bad. But I definitely personally have some feelings about specific ones Mm -hmm. not going to name names but there are definitely food companies that i would like to avoid like i don't like them and i don't like their products a couple of them have been whacked with some pretty big lawsuits that are you know if people do their homework they're pretty ugly oh yeah like remember the peter pan thing that happened those those guys those um like the business slash like director heads um they went to prison yeah because they knew. Yeah, and that's the thing. And so, of course, but food is political on so many other levels. Too. So many. I mean, we could have a whole one about the politics of veganism, and that's only oh, one for diet. Sure. I mean, and just just kind of the the movements. For example, you you work at a place that has makes a vegan option for meat, and then what people tell me is, um, and I'm a meat eater, and I know you are too. Um, people say, oh no, I don't, I don't want that because it's, I like meat. I like to eat meat. Well, what people don't understand is you can just have it a little bit and what it does, even if you love meat, by the way, your product I think is very delicious. I'm not just saying that because you work there, but if you, um, if you decide to not eat meat for just one day out of 10, you know, you're still saving the environment from all the large meat processing and that kind of thing and you know just a tiny little bit of effort so it doesn't have to be that you're all in or all out yeah but I know that's not the political part of veganism but yeah I mean I know there's there's so many things and probably things that I'm not really very well versed on that maybe our audience doesn't know either but I will say just overall that um I think that there are I'm glad you're working at you've worked at two really good companies as far as kind of their outlook and the way they treat 
human beings yes that are not necessarily working for them in other words they're consumer yeah which i'm not sure every food place is like that every manufacturer or company corporation some of those big ones are rough so yeah and like back to the whole political thing i mean if you're the thing is is that these corporations have so many other companies that they own right so they do have a lot of control not a lot of variety in the marketplace and right that gives them political power as well you got to think of all the lobbying and stuff. oh for sure or, or how it trickles into academia which right. i could also talk about for probably a whole episode right but... i mean it goes all the way down to farming practices and everything so you know i it's it's so complex and oh my gosh and then we could talk about um the supply food supply chain you know there's that too but um I know those. that's not really your specialty, but it's still fascinating. Also things that people don't think about very yep. often. Yeah, for sure. Um, I really like having a food scientist in the house because we really have learned a lot, you know, about that. Oh, yeah, like how I used to freak out about expiration dates. Yes. Now oh, I let's see. let's talk about that. Yeah, I feel like that's something people should know. So I was raised where if something was expired, um, you know, they say sell-by date. And it's, you know, June 12th. If it's like anywhere within like a couple weeks of it, you smell it, maybe do a little taste test, see if it's okay. And and then you eat it because that's just kind of the way I was raised. And then um, I have been, I was told by some of my offspring that, no, you got to throw it away. <laughs> well, that was when I was like 13. Right, right. Must be thrown away. But now explain the sell-by date. Yeah. So if you're... And I'm speaking more in terms of packaged food products at first. Right. Um, but if something says best buy, best eat, like best of buy or right. sell buy, um, and it's past that date, if it's like a bag of chips or a box of cereal, um, it's fine. It's yeah. just a quality standard. It's not a safety standard. Mm-hmm. It's not like after that date, all of a sudden, you know, all these little germies will get on it, like specific foodborne illnesses suddenly pounce on it right um it's simply just a mark of quality so maybe your chips won't be as crunchy your cereal's a little bit soggy like that kind of thing but, right um even something like eggs i think which go through such a hardcore processing uh standard will probably be fine but again like something like meat something like dairy uh <laughs> Maybe be a little bit careful. Did you ever? Did I ever tell you what my sister did? No. So I was visiting my sister, and it definitely needs to be said that she's a physician, an MD, and I was visiting her, and I cannot make this up. She said, "What do you want for breakfast?" And I was like, "Can I have some yogurt?" And she said, "Sure." So she sits me down and hands me the yogurt thing, and I, I, it was like a large container. So I scooped some out and put it in my bowl, and then I started eating it. It didn't taste terrible, but it didn't taste quite right. I looked at the expiration date. It was a year old. One year old. And then I I call out, listen, it gets worse. (laughs) Then I call out my medical doctor's sister, who's had clearly a ton of science, and she said, oh, that's only for the sweetened varieties. It doesn't... Yogurt will keep forever in your fridge. She legit told me that. Um, That's actually a good discussion point because... Because it was unsweetened. It was plain yogurt. Well, 
I don't see how unsweetened matters because, to be honest, like... Because I think the sugar ferments more. Right, because the little bacteria eat it up. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, uh, I mean, my personal diagnosis is <laughs> maybe don't eat yogurt that's a year well, old. Well, believe me, I did not eat it because it was disgusting. But, I mean, I don't know if Who you necessarily... <laughs> Who does that? Why would you do that to your little sister? Yeah, I don't know why. And she, by the way, clearly knew that it was really old. Because when I said something about it, she was like, oh, no, it's fine. Well, my question is, how little yogurt are you eating for it to only be, for right? it to be around for a year? Right. Are you like, having why, like a... Exactly. Why is that yogurt hanging around in the back of your fridge? That's true. Um, the for, whole thing was very strange. Fermented foods are pretty resilient, um, but... Uh, no. I think if they could last a year, the experts at the company would let you know. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I think that if they had yogurt that lasted a year, they would be, they be, would let everyone know. Point. Yeah, yeah, they'd be like, get this yogurt you can put in the back of your fridge for an entire year. It's good to go. <laughs> so what else do you want to, I, I don't want to, um, like move this in any particular direction do you have a particular pet peeve that makes you nuts about food science oh either um, what people ask you or something you have to do at work or let me think um pet peeves hmm that's hard to say uh probably the thing about packaged food is like yeah, when, when, when people pe- act like they don't eat it, it's more so process. People say processed because yes. that sounds evil. Because package, oh just yeah, sort and of what about xanthan term. gum? Let's talk about that. Xanthan gum, the, where yeah. people read the ingredients and say, "Oh yes, yeah. great, yeah, great point." It's the whole if you can't pronounce it, don't eat it thing, right? Which is a load of hogwash. To be can quite you expound honest. on that? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think one of the arguments is oh, well, this food's not natural because it has a bunch of terms on it I can't read. But if you, like, most of these contents are quote-unquote natural. Like, if you see citric acid, you're going to be scared, but that's really just, like, I think it's vitamin C. Right. Like, a lot of these things have scary titles to them when they're perfectly natural. Like xanthan gum. Doesn't that come from something super, like, natural? Yeah, I mean, xanthan gum's a hydrocolloid, um... Actually, not sure what it's from, but like you just have to think most of these things are from like tapioca or maize or right. something else, and it's just a, a little extracted thing. It's not necessarily like a um, like someone evil was there. Someone with test evil tubes. was like, <laughs> yeah, like exactly putting the evil science juice in the apple. Right. You know what I mean? It's typically, you know. It, I mean, there's plenty of things in nature you can't pronounce, but that doesn't mean they're not natural. Clostridium botulinum is natural. What is that? That's a botulism, Botox. Oh. oh, and people put that in their faces all the time. People put it in their face. They don't, they, yeah. Right? Well, they, I mean, you shouldn't eat botulinum because it's the most potent to- That's the thing is, botulinum is one of the most potent toxins in the world. Wow. And it's natural. So, like, right? are you going to eat that? Right. You know what I mean? First so of all, you can't Your point is it. just because it's natural doesn't mean you should eat it. Right, and the uh, the flip side of that is also, if you can't read it, that doesn't mean it's not natural. Right. It just means you don't understand a the lot science. about this specific science, and that's yeah. okay. I mean, you're not supposed to, because there's no simplified term to methyl cellulose. Like, methyl is a 
you know, a structure in chemistry and cellulose is like a plant cell wall. Yeah. Um, and that's just what, that's just what it is. That's the word for it. You can't simplify it any more than that. Right. So don't, uh, believe that necessarily, but if you are concerned about an ingredient, um, Google is free. So. Yes, exactly. And then, but also I shouldn't actually say that because there's plenty of misinformation. That's another thing is scientific, uh, literacy is very low and it shows up most in Dr. What, Google, what people think about food. Professor Google. Professor Google, yes. Yeah, not um, to be trusted. Yeah, another thing is Dr. Oz is not to be trusted <laughs> no. either. So, not to disparage Dr. Oz, he, but he does... He's just trying to get a good old bank account. You he know does propagate some... Well, he just... I think he... Is he still on TV? I think he just dumbed everything down so much. Oh, yeah. It was very... Um, it's, it's dangerous. Well, and it was very uh, demeaning, you know, like... Oh, because it, it was mostly a female audience, yeah. and then it's like... Oh, ladies, <laughs> you don't have to worry about this. I'll make it so you can all understand it. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me, which is why I was never a fan. That's that's another pet peeve I have. You know, I'm talking about pet peeves about consumers talking right. to me. But another one of my pet peeves is, you know, all these scientists or people who are like me, who work in food or have STEM degrees, um, basically... Not even just, like, mansplaining necessarily, but, like, talking down to other people. Like, oh, you don't know my very specific line of research? Right. Like, how, how can you call yourself a scientist or right. whatever? Um, Pilots do that, too. Oh, yeah. I they mean, love like, to throw the jargon around and be like, whoa, look at me, I'm so smart. And that's another thing, too, is I think... Uh, an unfortunate thing is most people who have STEM degrees from research universities... Uh, they don't get a lot of writing uh, practice. Mm. So when they do write these huge, very important papers, um, you know, you don't you don't have to fill it with every thesaurus word possible. Right. Like if we want better science communication, then we kind of need to work work with what we got. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, so you got to use the specifics. You got to be concise. Sure. But but fancy make it words. make it digestible. Excuse the pun, or maybe. Pun intended. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just it's it's astonishing how many poor communicators there are in science. I mean, I'm, yeah, I don't, don't got to tell you that. Well, but. as a mother of a uh, as a child of a mother who had uh, very advanced degrees in English and English lit, I do know that she was always, you know, you choose your words carefully and don't over talk. That was a big thing with my mom. So, like, when I would have to write essays, um, back in the day, they'd be like, write a hundred-word essay. She didn't let me put filler in there. You know, she'd be like, no, no, you got to take this out, this out, you know, be succinct. That's good. Which is, I'm not that succinct a lot of the times, but... That's okay. In the written world, I can be, yeah, yeah. necessary, but anyway. I'm very personally anti-jargon. Yeah. Just just say it. You know right. what I'm saying? And right. it doesn't have to be in STEM. If maybe if you're an English have an English degree or you know, all these other uh fields of work. Just keep it simple. Yeah, I agree. Well, Which is easier said than done. Yeah. Well, Roxy, we should probably wrap this up because I don't want to um go too long and I also would like to have you back as a guest. Would you be interested in coming back? Absolutely. Good. We don't have to talk about, you know, Yahtzee or anything. <laughs> um, the Yahtzee killings next time. Um, so let's do our lightning round. You ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. 
So it's it's called the lightning round, but it doesn't really have to be fast. Okay. So you can take as much time as you want. So it's like the the thunder round where it's like you you hear it and then you like count how many miles away it is. Sure. Yeah, it's exactly like that. So um okay, so you're a person who grew up with Pokémon. Yes. What's your favorite Pokémon? Latias from 3rd Gen. Okay, and what's so great about Latias? I think it's cuz I watched the her she was in a movie and she has a brother named Latios and I think the movie resonated with me as a kid. She has a, a red dragon who flies around, which, I mean, well, who, who yeah. doesn't love that? Who but, doesn't want to fly around? Yeah. Um, but the movie's very much about her relationship with her brother, and she ends Aww. up losing him at the end, which is really sad. That's kind of save To save the city, but then uh, he respawns, basically, into like two, diff- two new siblings. So oh, someone okay. who's close with my brother. That's a great thing related to that. for Pokemon to be able to do. Yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, and this is kind of interesting. We can talk, oh, let's do another podcast on fermentation. Yeah. Okay, so on the fermentation uh, train, which do you prefer, wine or beer? Wine, unless it's a sour beer. Sour? Yeah. What's a sour beer? You don't, like a sour like, mm, I don't know what that is. Oh, really? It's I think you'd really like them. They're just beers that are really tart, basically. So is it like a, but is it like a cider beer? Mm-mm, it's just a sour beer. Huh. It's a beer that tastes sour. I might have to look into that. You'd love them. There's oh. a dogfish head one that's really good. Oh, good to know. So what was your easiest class in college? Oh, that's a good question. I honestly forget a lot of what I took in college. <laughs> <laughs> um, Easy. I had a lot of fun classes, but I wouldn't say they were easy. A lot of times those are the most hard. Oh, actually, creative dance was definitely my easiest class. Oh, there class. you go. There you go. As a dancer, that would have been... Although sometimes even those classes are hard. Yeah, but I mean, it's like the one art elective you have to take, and there's plenty of just randos in there. And okay. And I remember for one of my final projects, I just took a different dance that I had already done earlier that year at a show. And then just use that to a different song so the teacher wouldn't get suspicious. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. Well, maybe that was all the creativity he or she needed. Like, they didn't really hey, you know ex- what? have a high expectation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think people regurgitated their own work in college. I did that, I think. I think it's smart sometimes. Yeah, I don't... I don't think there's anything necessarily underhanded with it i used to think it was like wrong to recycle your college essays from college to college uh-huh. i think someone told me that they all compare but i'm oh like they don't gosh, have time to no, do that of course not so that's silly so okay uh beach or mountains mountains that was easy for you yeah i like the beach but i also i think it's hard for me to relax all day I need something to do. Yeah, well, the beach, you can go in the beach. That's true. And, I mean, I live near the beach currently, and I love it, so. Yeah. I'm a mountain person, but that's why I asked that question, because I love the mountains. But I will say mountains with water is, like, primo. Yeah, yeah. You know. Otherwise, just dry. I feel like the beach sometimes feels like the desert with some water in it. I like the desert, though. Yeah, actually, I do, too. Um... Okay, this is first. This is kind of generational because in my world, growing up with phone calls was just what happened. But on your cell phone, if you get a phone call, is that rude or not rude? 
I don't think it's rude, but I'd rather have you text me and say, can I call you? And I say yes, right. or I see it at least. Um, so you can and kind if you of do, regulate it. Yeah, and if you do call me, leave a message. So does when your phone rings, do you freak out? Um, it depends if it's someone I know, because I've been getting a lot of telemarketers lately, which oh, is annoying. But that's a drag. Um, sometimes if it's like you or like someone else random, I do think something bad happened. That's where my mind goes oh, pretty much that's immediately. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so you would say not really rude or just prefer not calls? I, I wouldn't say, I don't think rude is the right word for it. Right. Uh, but I'd rather know if a call is coming. Okay. So, um, moving forward then, I think, uh, Roxanne, if you're interested, we would have you back on the show and we can talk about some very specific food science, uh, things like maybe, maybe fermentation, but maybe something else. Yeah, whatever. I mean, maybe your listeners can send in some stuff. You know, call in. <laughs> That's a great idea. We're gonna we're gonna get like a a live. We'll get live um, podcasting, and then go. we'll get live calls. Yeah, I don't know how that would go down. Boy, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roxanne. Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Oh, thanks. Thanks again for joining. If you like what you heard, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to my channel. Thanks.